appreciate it so much. I am glad to see you here today. If you have your Bibles, and I know you do, find your place with me in John's Gospel, chapter number 6. John's Gospel, chapter number 6. You know that several weeks ago we undertook the challenge of preaching through the seven signs around which John's Gospel is organized. John selected seven miracles that really fit the theological purpose of his gospel and he placed those kind of as pillars around which he built uh, his entire gospel. And there is a lot of correlation between these, these seven signs and the material that's in between. For instance, we looked at sign number four a couple of weeks ago and that is where Jesus miraculous, miraculously fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with um, two fish and five barley loaves. And then immediately upon the hills of that, today we find Jesus walking on the water. Now the discourses between this and the next sign that we'll look at next week include uh, one of the seven I am statements where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Do you see the connection between the bread of life and the feeding of the 5,000? There's also a subcurrent theme here of showing Jesus' superiority to Moses. Moses gave manna in the wilderness. Jesus gives bread and fish in this pasture. Moses, in the next sign, walking on the water, Moses parted the sea and passed through on dry ground, but Jesus is superior, so he just walks on top of the sea. So there's a lot going on here in the Gospel of John that sometimes our casual reading uh, tends to gloss over. But since I'm a preacher, it's my job to point that stuff out. So it's my privilege to do that. I know that you've been edified by that little bit this morning. So we want to find ourselves in sign number four. Remember we said that a sign is something that points to something greater than itself. And in this case, these signs point to someone greater than itself. And we've already said there's a lot of people today that are just searching and seeking for something supernatural, something miraculous. Jesus said that is inferior type of faith. Matter of fact, he said a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign. You see, a sign points to his greatness. So the miracles point to his identity as the incarnate God. So let's pick up with sign number 5 today in John chapter number 6. Notice what the Bible says beginning in verse number 45. Immediately Jesus made his disciples... I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong, uh, I'm in the wrong passage. My Bible fell to the wrong place. Let me get to John's gospel chapter number 6. Here we go. Verse number 15. So Jesus, perceiving that they to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum, and it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because of a strong wind that was blowing. Uh, then when they had rowed about three or four they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat and they were frightened. But he, that is Jesus, said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. 
So they were willing to receive him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now this particular sign or this particular miracle is recorded by three of our gospel evangelists. It's recorded by Matthew and it's recorded by Mark and it's recorded by John. Of the three, uh, of the three records that we have of this, John is the least detailed of all, again, because of his theological purpose. Mark is much more detailed. Matthew even adds to that the account of Peter getting out of the boat. You remember how Peter said, Lord, if it's you, then give me the opportunity to come to you. And he said, come on. So we have here for a brief instance, Peter walking on the water in Matthew's account. These are some of my favorite pericopes. Uh, don't you like that word, pericope? Say it with me, pericope. Pericope. Oh, it's just a fun word to the mouth to say, pericope. Y'all sounded so much more scholarly when you said that. A, peric a pericope is just, <laughs> it's just, it's just an isolated, uh, self-contained story. And these are a lot of the, the stories that we tell to the quilombolas in the jungle of Brazil because they do not read, so we don't take in a Bible. We have to say all of this in the way they say things in their culture by memory. So we just tell them a story. And this story is a great one because it shows Jesus' superiority to a lot of things that they worship. So we want to tell these types of pericopes or stories there. They're also profitable for us here at home. But now since Mark is much more detailed, I want to use Mark's account of this as the basis for what we're going to say today. You've been wondering, wait, why are you reading John when your guide says Mark? Now you were wondering, boy y'all are sharp. <laughs> now you see why I started reading Mark at first and said, wait a minute, this is wrong passage. So now let's go back to Mark's gospel and this is the same this is a, a different account of the same event. Are you with me? Okay, so here we go. Mark chapter number 6, and let's start where I almost started a few minutes ago, in verse number 45. So here we go. Verse number 45 of Mark's account says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, and go ahead of him to the other side to Beth Bethsaida, while he himself was standing or was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he, that is Jesus, spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Of all the accounts, 
Mark's gospel gives us an explicit reason why this sign took place and why these events transpired. Not only does he give us an explicit reason, but throughout his account there's also implicit reasons as to why this happened. Now that's unique because we don't have the, the answer to the question why for a lot of, of, of pericopes or a lot of narratives in Scripture. Furthermore, we don't have the reason why a lot of things happen the way they happen in this life. But Mark does give us why in this account. So I want to speak to you today on this subject. Why the wind and the waves? You know, a lot of times life just deals you a backhanded blow. A lot of times a storm will blow up out of a clear sky. Things be rolling along good and the next thing you know you find yourself fighting for your life in the midst of a hurricane. Why does that happen? Well, I can't tell you why it happens in every event, but we can say why it happened in this event and I think we can draw some principles as to why it happens sometimes to us. So why the wind and the waves? Well, there are several reasons buried throughout this narrative, and here's the first one. Why the wind and the waves? Number one, because of our relationship to Christ, growth is not an option. Did you hear what I said? When I'm talking about growth, I'm not talking about our waistline expanding. I'm talking about spiritual growth. As a child of God, someone who has been born again, someone who has been justified, regenerate, saved, whatever you want to call it, as a child of God, spiritual growth is not a take-it-or-leave-it proposition for you or for me. Spiritual growth is not an option. Just all there is to it. Now, these miracles, these signs, were to point us to who Jesus Christ is and they were to reveal to us His identity as the incarnate God. Now, listen to what it, is that, uh, uh, what it is that Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 17, verse number 3, in His high priestly prayer the night before He was crucified. He was talking to the Father, and this is what He said. He said, this is eternal life. Did you get that? He's about to give us a definition of what eternal life is, what it means to be saved, what it means to be a child of God. He says this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now did you get that? Here's what it means to be a child of God. It means that from the moment you were born again, you were growing and growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. You are becoming more intimately acquainted both intellectually and experientially with who God and who God in Christ actually is. And that's not an option. We are all as the children of God, those who've been born again, washed in the blood, filled with the Spirit to be quasi-theologians. We should know God more and more every day. Jesus said that's what eternal life is. 
Now let me tell you how that's not optional. Here's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6. He said, For I am confident of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you, i.e. salvation, will complete it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you get that? Who's going to complete it? Not me, not you. God the Father is going to see to it that you as His child are on a course of spiritual growth. You're getting bigger, you're getting better, you're getting stronger every day that you live. Spiritual growth, listen to me, is not an option for a child of God. But it sure is funny as long as I have been in ministry, I don't think I have ever been to the funeral of a lost person. Because no matter how ungodly the person in the box was, no matter how unconcerned they were for spiritual reality, they hadn't been involved in a local church in the past 60 years they hadn't been doing anything to help expand God's kingdom on this planet, but yet the preacher always finds some reason to put that person in heaven. Now, is that just my experience or is it yours as well? Oh, I know he didn't come to church, but back in 1933, we have a record written in, uh, with a feather dipped in ink, in ink well... I found that record where he prayed to receive Christ and was baptized. Now listen, if I have to believe that or believe the testimony of your life against the Word of God, I'm going to stick with God's Word every time. And the Bible says it's just impossible for somebody to be saved and not be on a course of spiritual growth and pursuit of spiritual maturity. It's just impossible. So God says, I'm not going to allow that to happen. Spiritual growth for my children is not an option. It's not an option. Hey, what do you think would happen if uh, up at the Baptist College of Florida, I have a group of students this semester, and last semester they all had different profs. And without fail, every one of those students have a 4.0 average. They're sharp cookies. And they're in my class this semester, and come May, when grades come out, without fail, every stinking one of them flunked. What you think would be said? What you think administration would do? I'll tell you what they're going to do. They're going to come to me and they're going to say, Hey, these are some of the best we've got. Why'd you fail them? Seems to me that the problem may not be with the students, but the problem may be with you, prof. Why'd you fail the cream of the crop? And you see, it's the same way with God. When folk and go through Bonifay and Shipley and knock on doors, you'll be hard-pressed to find somebody that won't tell you they're saved. Well, what church do you go to? Well, I don't, I don't go to church. Or I've, I've done this before. I, somebody told me they went to a certain church. And I said, what's the pastor's name up there? And y'all see them embarrassed. They can't even call a pastor's name. Hear me. If all of those students failing is a reflection upon the professor, then a bunch of supposed people who are born again failing and living in immaturity and ignorance, who does that reflect on? It reflects on God. And we are saved 
to be to the praise of His glory. And I'll tell you, He's not glorified when His children remain babies and ignorant as to who He is. So here's God's purpose in your life. If you're born again, watch me. You're going to grow. Not because you want to, but because He wants you to. Now I believe there's a want to within us as well. And there's some human responsibility in sanctification. But God the Father is not going to let you sit in spiritual diapers as a 40-year-old believer. He's not. And that's what we see taking place here in this miracle. Look here. Spiritual growth is not an option. Check this out in verse number 45. I want you to see this. Underline this word. Immediately Jesus made. Underline that. He made. Some versions say He compelled. Some versions say He forced them to get into the boat. Hey, stop thinking about it. Peter was a fisherman. John was a fisherman. James was a fisherman. This was their home lake. This was their home water. They knew how to fish that water, did they not? They knew weather conditions. And I bet you people were saying, Lord, I'm not getting in that boat tonight. Do you see what's coming in off the Mediterranean Sea? There's this thunderstorm coming in. I'm not getting The Bible says this. Jesus made them. Hey, they didn't have a choice. There wasn't an option. Jesus said, you know, if y'all would like to, sure would make me happy if y'all would get in that boat right there. Won't you just make this choice? Won't you decide to do this? That's the way some folk make Jesus out to be. Well, it's my option. I can do it for I. No, 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 no. Spiritual growth is not an option. He made them get into the boat. Why? Now, why did he make them get into the boat? Well, remember, the point of these miracles is so they'll learn who he is. Now, check out verse number 52. Check this out. Verse number 52 says, For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. Their heart was hardened. Now, watch this. Spiritual growth is not an option. Here's the way it's going to happen. Number one, we can get it the easy way in the calm. Are you with me? The Bible says they sat down in green pastures and they ate cathead biscuits and catfish fillets that Jesus Christ had multiplied and spread out to them. Son, that's pretty calm, ain't it? Look, it don't get any better. I'd say, babe, give me that reclining chair right there. Let me unsnap my britches. Old thing left to do here is take a nap. Look, you can learn who Jesus is in the calm. Are you with me? When there's no ripples on the sea, when there's no crisis, when there's no emergency, when there's no wind blowing, when there's no hurricane, we have the option of learning like that. But here's the problem. Most folk don't get it in the calm. They didn't get it in the calm. Sometime we come to church, we walk out of here with absolutely nothing. Amazes me how little sometimes we get in the calm. So guess what? You can either get it today in the calm because here's what he's doing. He's trying to grow you up in the calm for when the storm does come. But if you don't get it in the calm, here's your other option. Or we will get it the hard way amidst calamity.
So here's the options for spiritual growth. Because they were hard-hearted, they didn't get it in the calm, Jesus made them get into the boat. He says, if you're not going to get it here on the shore with your belly full of catfish fillets, let me cause a storm to blow up. And all of a sudden, they're in the midst of calamity. If you can't see who I am, that I am God incarnate by the fact that I just took five barley loaves and two fish and I fed about 10,000 people, if that you didn't get it here in the calm, let me put you out there in a little bitty rowboat in the midst of an angry sea. And let's see if you get it then. Are you with me? Hey, man, this stuff can bite us if we don't look at If we're not on our P's and Q's as it relates to spiritual growth, the storm's coming to you because He loves you too much to let you stay in spiritual infancy and spiritual ignorance. He loves you too much. Eternal life is to know Him, to know Him, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. Here's what I do as a pastor back in the day. You remember back in the day when people used to go to the hospital and you could actually have visitors when you're in there? <laughs> you remember those days? Here's what I'd do every time I'd go and, and, and visit one of our folk in the hospital. I'd have a conversation with them and I'd pray with them. And I'd say, here's what I want for you. Here's my heart's desire. Is that you would see a facet of God's identity in this hospital bed that you couldn't see anywhere else on this planet. And you see, that's what God does sometimes. He wants us to know Him. And our spiritual growth is not an option. We'll either get it in the calm. Hey, trust me, this is the easy way why the wind ain't blowing. But if we don't take advantage of learning who He is and experiencing Him on a daily basis today while the wind's not blowing, He'll blow a storm into your world tomorrow so that you will know who He is. Oh, they couldn't miss it when they were in the middle of a storm and Jesus comes walking on the water. You know what I'm talking about? Notice number next. Why the wind and the waves? Because of our relationship with Christ, spiritual growth is not an option. I'm sorry. Man, it's not just get your ticket punch and go to heaven. When you're saved, He sets you on a course. And He Himself will see to it that you get there. Number next, because of our predisposition, fellowship is often interrupted. Now follow me on this. Look in verse number 46. After bidding them farewell, that is the crowd, but also the disciples. Man, that's one of the saddest phrases in the Bible to me. Look, Jesus is standing there on the shore saying, Farewell. They are leaving the presence of Jesus. He had to send his disciples away. Now, why did he do that? Because they were predisposed to something. What were they predisposed to? You remember what John's account said? After he fed all the people, the people wanted to make him the king. It was a mob mentality. Hey, we know something about that, don't we? It was a mob mentality. And they wanted to force him to be king. Well, guess what? These disciples weren't, weren't immune to that. As a matter of fact, they were pretty predisposed to it because they wanted to see the Roman government overthrown. They wanted to put their man in the Oval Office so that things would go right for them. So they were predisposed to this movement. So what did Jesus have to do? He had to send them away. 
My goodness. Because of their predisposition, and sometimes because of our predisposition, our fellowship with Him is interrupted. Now get this, where did Jesus go after He sent them away? He went where? He went, up to, he went off on a mountain to pray. Now, have you ever noticed that when Jesus goes up a mountain to pray, that normally some pretty intense things happen? Do they not? Lewis Miller talked about one last week. You remember, he went up on one mountain and he was completely transfigured. Who came and talked to him? Moses and Elijah. That's the type of thing that took place when Jesus went to the mountain. Guess what? Because of their predisposition, they missed it. They missed it. I have to ask myself, how much do I miss that I could have participated in because of some predisposition that I have? A predisposition towards sin, to take something the wrong way. And here was their predisposition. Let me run real quick through them. Number one, their predisposition, or our predisposition, is to follow the crowd. You know, folks, you just like to follow the crowd. And here was a mob. They were wanting to make Jesus king. Jesus knew that his disciples would be sympathetic with that. And his job wasn't to come be a, to set up a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom to be the suffering Messiah that would issue into the salvation of the entire world. He couldn't have anything to do with this. His disciples couldn't have a part of it, so he went and sent them away. Hey, watch this. Do you know that sometimes Jesus will forcibly remove you from a situation that you yourself aren't strong enough to remove yourself from? He will. He will because he loves you too much to let you be a part of the crowd. What is it about us? We have this flocking instinct, don't we? It's good and it's bad. We ought to want to flock together as God's sheep, but we shouldn't want to flock together as a mob and just follow the crowd. And so many people today are wanting to do that, just follow the crowd. A lot of folk get their, get their significance by how many people are involved in this movement. A lot of folk want to ask me, well, how many do y'all have over at Grace? Like if we don't have 10,000, you're not going to come because you're a crowd type person. You know what I'm saying? I got a friend that says, a crowd might be nothing more than just a bunch of people pooling their ignorance. <laughs> and he's right. But here, he had to get his disciples out of there because of their propensity and predisposition just like ours to follow the crowd. But number two, he had to get them out of there because it has to get us out sometime because of our disposition to fail to comprehend. Man, again, they just missed it. They missed who he was. Mark tells us that they didn't gain anything from the incident with the loaves. So Jesus had to get them out of there. Wow. Hey, has Jesus ever got you out of something you didn't understand? Have you ever lost a job and you didn't know why? You ever lost friends and you didn't know why? Maybe because of your predisposition, he had to shield you from something, protect you from something. And he got you out of there. And we whine and cry because we wanted to go with the crowd so bad. God loves you too much to let you go down that path, and he'll just whoop, shut it down. His goal is that we become spiritually wise and mature enough that we'll shut things like that down ourselves. But spiritual... To, to, to not grow is not an option. 
So why the wind and the waves? Number one, because of our relation to Christ, growth is not an option. Because of our predisposition, fellowship is often interrupted. How many times have we missed out on sweet fellowship with the Lord because we got a predisposition towards sin? My goodness. My goodness. Know yourself. Know what your weaknesses are. Know what your challenges are. I had a prof used to tell us all the time, said, Men, you got a weakness with women, stay off the beach. And he's right. You should know what your predispositions are so your fellowship with Christ isn't interrupted over your predispositions and your bents. Number next, because He is God, we are never overwhelmed. I love it. He sent those boys. He rescued them from that mob mentality. He made them get into a boat and go into a storm. You think Jesus didn't know a storm was coming up? Son, He's the omniscient God of glory. He knows everything about you, everything about me, everything that's going to happen tomorrow, everything's going to happen 10,000 years from now. He knows it. He's not surprised. He made them get in that boat and go. But here's the good news. If you're a child of God, there is no storm out there serious enough to overwhelm you. It's not. Category 5 hurricane, F5 tornado. Paul says we are more than conquerors in him who loved us. We may be knocked down, but we're not out. We may have been dealt a blow, but we're never overwhelmed. And if he sent you out there, look at here. He's got you. Now check this out. Notice why they weren't overwhelmed. Look in verses number 47 through, through 50. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars. Stop right there. How, how, why is it that we are never overwhelmed, even in the midst of a storm? Here it is. Because he sees you. He sees you. He knows where you are. He sees us no matter what the circumstances. Now let me lay a little geography on you. This lake, 10, 12 miles long, about 8 miles wide, they were in the middle of it. He was on the land. They were about 4 miles away at the fourth watch of the night. So we're talking probably 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. It's pitch black dark and there's a raging storm. Can you see that far? Ain't no way. Ain't no way a man can see that far. But let me tell you, God man can see through anything. And he saw them in the middle of the lake. And I want to tell you, that's comforting. To know that no matter where I am, no matter what the circumstances, Jesus sees me. <laughs> that old spiritual song. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. There's nowhere you can get where he doesn't know where you are and where he doesn't see you. So the storm might be raging, but get this, you're not overwhelmed. The storm's not going to sink your boat. Why? Because Jesus got you in his eyesight. Number next, not only does he see us no matter the circumstance, but sometimes he suspends natural law. He can suspend the laws of nature in order to save you. He can do that. That's what he did here. Notice what he did. How did he suspend natural law? Well, notice what it is the scripture says. It said about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them paddling in another boat. Is that what it says? 
That's not what it says. How did he come to them? Walking on the sea. Now, I've always wondered about that. I've never doubted it, but I've always wondered, wondered about it. I mean, how did it play out physically? Because have you ever seen an angry sea? I mean, there's swells, there's valleys. I mean, have you ever been out there and, and, and in about 10 or 12 foot seas, and at one minute your boat's up like this, and the next minute it's down like this, and you can't see because waves are above the deck of the boat? So, I mean, what was Jesus? Was he like me, jogging to get up here? I mean, was he up high one minute and then he ran down in the valley, ran up the other side of the wave? I mean, how did this play out? And here's the deal. There's a New Testament scholar by the name of James Brooks. He says this. He does some dissecting of this word walking on the sea. And this is what he says. He says, it gives us the impression that Jesus was on the top of a wave and he was walking along the crest of the wave, one wave, and that wave was just kind of bearing him along. That makes perfect sense to me. Let me tell you what the spiritual truth is in it. Here's the spiritual truth. That being the case, what caused consternation to the disciples is actually the same thing that conducts Christ to them. Watch me. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of the waves. It was going to capsize them. And the thing that they thought was going to kill them was actually the thing that brought Christ to them. Here he is standing on top of a wave. And the wave conducts Christ right up to their boat. How many times have you been in a storm and you think, this is going to destroy me. This is going to kill me. I'm going to write this on my tombstone. <laughs> And it's that very thing that draws Christ close to you and puts you on a course of spiritual growth that causes you to be the person that He's always wanted you to be. My goodness. That'll cause you to look at trials a little bit different, won't it? That's why Peter says, James say, Brothers, count it, count it all joy when various trials. <laughs> Because it could be that that thing is the very thing that's going to get Christ back in your boat. Notice number next. Not only does he suspend natural law and what caused consternation conducts Christ to them, but also Jesus always comes to those who suffer in the course of obedience. He always comes to Even if he's got to suspend natural law to get to you, He's going to come to you if you're in trouble because you are obeying His command. He doesn't sell out obedient people. These guys were in the middle of that storm. Why? Because they wanted to go fishing? No. They were in the middle of that storm because Jesus told them, go to the other side. And I'm here to tell you this is one of the things that we experience on the mission field like no other place. Because I want to tell you, we have got our hineys and some cracks on the mission field. You hear me? That's a little bit different. That's getting your honey in a crack, not having a crack in your honey. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I heard some of you, I, mean, I could just see some of you went there, so I might as well com complete the thought for you. <laughs> yeah, we have got ourselves in some tights. But I will tell you something. We have never failed to see him bail us out. Because here's the idea, God. 
I'm not out here in the jungle of Brazil because I'm hunting turkey. <laughs> now, I've been turkey hunting, got myself in my own. He ain't helped me out a bit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but look at Every time I get in a bind because I'm being obedient to him, he's got my back. And I'll tell you, it's just an eternal truth, an eternal principle. When you are obedient, come what may, because King Jesus has got the slack, sonny. And he'll take care of you. The best place to be. Hey, I'm not going to say the safest place to be is in the center of God's will, but the best place to be is in the center of God's will because he's got you. And here he came to them. Why? Because they were out there because he sent them out there. Hey, we're a sending church. When we send folk, we send them, but he's got them. That's all there is to it. All right, number next, I got to run here. We're never overwhelmed because he sees, no matter the circumstance, he suspends natural law. But number three, he speaks his calming word. Now check this out. How am I doing on time? Oh, got plenty of time, especially since we don't get out to 1 o'clock. Got plenty of time. Check this out. <laughs> look, at what, look what Scripture says in verse number 50. For they all saw him and were terrified. Look in verse number 49. When they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out. I've always looked at that statement and thought, my goodness, that's not what you do when you see a ghost. I mean, who hasn't watched Scooby-Doo? <laughs> when you see a ghost, you don't make any noise. Why? Because <laughs> you don't want him to hear you and come closer, right? Apparently they hadn't developed any theology from Scooby-Doo like I have. Look, when I see a ghost, I don't stand up and say, Hey, I'm over here. <laughs> you looking for me? Heck no, I get pretty quiet at that time. Y'all thinking, I wish he'd see a ghost about right now. <laughs> Look, you see a ghost, you get quiet. These old boys saw a ghost and they were so scared, they began to cry. Here's seasoned, salty sailors crying. Wow. Now, look at what he did. They didn't know who he was when they saw him. When did they recognize him? When he spoke to them. You see, he's always recognizable by his word. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. He spoke to him and he said, literally, here's what it says in the Greek. Take heart. Take heart. It is I, ego I me. It is I am. Why did Amber read that passage a little while ago? Because there's several passages in the Old Testament that depict Yahweh God is walking on the sea. And now Jesus says, ego I me. I am. That's the name that God used of himself when, he, when Moses encountered him at the burning bush back in Exodus chapter 3. I am that I am. And Jesus says, I am calm their fear. Hey, when you're in a storm, let me tell you what you need. Hey, when you're in the calm, let me tell you what you need. You need a word from God. And here's what we say at Grace. If you want to hear from God, read His Word. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read His Word out loud. That's right. This is His Word. There's nothing that will minister to a frightened soul like God's Word. Just something about it. Notice, i got to run. Here we go. 
because he's God, we're never overwhelmed. You see, they're learning lessons now in this storm that they should have learned on the shore in the calm. Sometimes it takes a storm coming into our life before we get serious, huh? Check it out, number next, and finally. Because he is with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Because he is with us, frustration and fear are replaced with astonishment. Look at what the scripture says in verse number 51. Then he got into the boat with them. Man, that's a good phrase. Lord God, board my ship and take the helm. He got into the boat with them and the wind stopped. And here it is. Mark says it like this. They were utterly astonished. The Cliff Myers translation of that is they were completely slack-jawed. <laughs> this has got to be God in the flesh for all of these things to happen. He walks on the sea. The winds quit when he gets in the boat. The other evangelists talk about now they're frightened of him, that respect and reverence of him. They were frightened of the storm. Now they're frightened of who this man is. This is Yahweh God incarnate sitting in my boat. My word. So here's how you can know whether or not you're walking closely enough with him. It's what I call the frustration slash fascination quotient. Write that down. I didn't have room. I ran out of paper before I ran out of sermon. The frustration slash fascination quotient. And here's how you measure that. If you are more frustrated with your circumstances, then you are fascinated with the Savior, then guess what? You're not where you ought to be spiritually. That's a telltale sign. Anytime I get tunnel vision on my circumstances and I'm hot and bothered and I'm frustrated by everything that's happening, and my gosh, who hasn't got in a tailspin where everything just piles in upon you and you get frustrated? That's when I know that I need to back out a little bit and allow my fascination level to outgrow my frustration level. Because here's the reality. No matter what storm I'm in, if the Son of God is in my boat, I ought to be more focused and fascinated with Him than I am anything else that's happening. The same way with fear. Fear has gripped me. If I have more fear than I do faith, it's the same thing. So here these boys were all of a sudden and Jesus gets in their boat. Now the frustration level is gone. They had been straining at these oars all night long. Can you imagine? I bet their muscles were crying out and aching. Frustrated, making no progress. And now Jesus gets in the boat and they're totally fascinated with who he is. Hey, if you stop being fascinated with him, maybe because we've stopped growing as we should. And if we've stopped growing as we are, look out. There's probably going to be a storm come because 
we've passed up the opportunity to learn in the calm. And now God says, because you're one of mine, you are not going to remain indifferent. You're going to grow. And maybe there's a calamity coming so that we'll learn who he is. Hey, where are you today? You're more frustrated with life than you are fascinated with the Savior? Pull up a front row seat. Get a good dose of who he is because who he is is who we need. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the spiritual truth that's buried in these stories that happened so many years ago. Lord, they're as contemporary as if you had written them to us yesterday. Because, Lord, this is where we live. So I pray, God, that we at Grace are going to be people who can learn in the calm. But, God, if we don't learn in the calm, then we know you're going to send us in the calamity because we are going to grow one way or another. So my prayer is today that in the quiet of this building, while the wind is not blowing, while we're kind of standing in the serenity of your peace, that you have done something, you've said something, you've picked us up from where we were, you've conducted us a little farther down the road, you've got into somebody's boat today. So I pray for that one, Lord, that maybe has never been born again, that thought they were saved, but because of a lack of spiritual growth, they realized that maybe not. Or I pray for that one that the Lord just may be in a storm that has happened just in the course of life. Not because of a lack of growth or anything else, but sometimes storms just happen. And I pray, God, that today you're going to get in their boat. Whatever, God, you have said to us, may in this calm moment, may we heed your still, small voice. May we take steps to you. God, we welcome you draw near to us. Pray for that one that needs today to be a part of the local church and you've spoken to them about uniting with grace. Pray you'd let them step out on faith today. Those who need to come and declare they place their faith in Christ, have a saving relationship with Him, I pray you give them the faith to come. Whatever it is you've said today, God, could we respond for your honor and glory and could you be pleased as your people take steps towards you and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.